0: Check out this awesome spam, Chris. Wow. The amazing fry pan. And what I like is that it's an Easter special because, you know, it's Easter and all.
1: Wow. Yep. That actually does look pretty good, though. (laughs) (laughs) You want the amazing fry pan? I do want the amazing fry pan. (laughs) Welcome back to the Purple Fringe for another year. 2017 is with us and CES and all sorts of announcements. John, how are you, mate? Not too
0: bad, Chris. Uh, Happy to be back. This is episode 17 for 2017. So it worked out well, didn't it? It certainly did.
1: Now, you've had a good uh, Christmas break. Do you take lots of good photos?
0: Uh, I took some photos. I don't know whether they were good or not, but I took plenty of them. So, so in um, other
1: words, you took a whole load of photos and you haven't processed or looked at them yet.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a bit of that. And also <laughs> I shot a wedding and I uh, took up most of my time. So yeah, shot lots of photos. Um, how about yourself, Chris?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was over in the States and, uh, and shooting away on your little Canon EOS M and uh, Sony go, RX10. Way? I'll show you later on, not too bad. Yeah. And uh, we also had a, a Canon... Um, uh, Mark III, which got 5D Mark III as well, shooting mm-hmm. some video, and then um, a little HDV camera at the back, which was pretty antiquated, but did its job. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a fun trip in the states, capturing some music video stuff, and uh, and now back in Melbourne to talk about a whole lot of stuff that's. It's been happening.
0: Yeah, so look, we'll kick off with CES, I think, Chris, the Consumer Electronics Show that uh, finished up uh, about a week or two ago, and there weren't that many uh, releases there, but there was one major one, Chris.
1: There was. The Panasonic GH5, uh, of course, which the Panasonic GH range, uh, certainly since the GH2, has been taken very seriously on a video front. Hmm. Uh, it had video quality that rivaled its uh, uh It's Canon and DSLR uh, counterparts, and um, it's really gained a big following. Yeah,
0: so this is a a micro four-thirds sensor camera uh, that's been very popular in the video field. It's kind of the other side of the fence to the uh, Magic Lantern Canon crowd in in many respects. It was sort of a different camp, and they were very enthusiastic and did a lot of things with the camera, and this was a camera that was teased late last year, but uh, it's now... Officially announced with the official specs, it's not yet shipping, but uh, it will in the not-too-distant future. So, Chris, what can you tell me about the camera itself?
1: Well, the first thing is, of course, it shoots 4K, which you'd expect anyway, because the last model did too, Uh, but this one shoots 4K at 60 frames a second, which is pretty impressive. And as far as I know, they're also going to be um, adding some modes for doing fast recording as well. Uh, so there's a uh, 180 frames per second at 1080 as well. So yep. right off the cuff, it's got capability to uh, you know record high frame rate 4K and, and even faster HD, uh, and that's you know uh, it's that's probably- pretty
0: cool because not many cameras at this sort of level will do 60 frames a second at 4K or mm. 180 frames a second in HD for that matter.
1: Mm, that's it.
0: Look, and the other cool thing is that at the moment or when it's released at least, it will be 4K in 420 8-bit, but they have promised in a, a future firmware update in the not-too-distant future that we'll actually shoot 422 in in 10-bit, which is a, a pretty significant thing, especially for a camera of this price. Mm.
1: And look, to be honest, um, my little bit of a gripe with the, the GH4 is, and I don't know if they'll have changed the sensor out with the GH5, but you need to actually push and pull it around a fair bit to get the skin tones right out of it. And um, certainly with the the picture modes on it, um, you can get some really stunning images out of it. But uh, I always felt that you were actually pushing a little bit into the uh, the eight bit eight bit limitation realm when you were grading it. So to have that ten bit option, I think that is honestly one of the missing links for this camera to really give it you know something that'll allow you to to shape it in post
0: at four hundred megabits a second. Hopefully, you'll get that level of information where you're going to get the real detail and the skin tones, and you'll be able to push and pull it as much as you like.
1: Yeah, which it is an all intra codec at that point, and I'm I'm not a big intra uh, fanboy. I I personally think that the mm. um, BMP frames are fine if you're doing interviews or things like that. But certainly if you're going for a lot of run and gunning and getting you know uh, you know that very on the fly fly on the wall look, uh, especially with uh, stabilization, uh, that's uh, four hundred megabits a second. Uh, um, with lots of scenery flying around, it's going to be very beneficial.
0: So speaking of the stabilisation, this has got a 5-axis stabiliser in it, which is pretty common these days, but good to see it included in the GH5.
1: Yep, and it's in-body, so if you add an in-lens stabiliser to that as well, you get your double layer of stabilisation. So
0: 20.3 megapixel sensor on it, and they've removed the low-pass filter on this one, Chris. Yep. So what's that going to give us? Well,
1: um, well, it'll we'll give you give it. te- <laughs> a whole lot of Moro patterns. Um, yeah. te- well, potentially it's going to give you a sharper 4K image, yeah, uh, and uh, quite a clean uh, 4K image as well. You do actually uh, with the, without the high pass filter, you you do get a slightly cleaner image through as well on the yeah. whole. Um, so fingers crossed, uh, it'll be something that's very sharp and hopefully at the resolution that it's at, we we won't see too many um, interference patterns and things.
0: One of the other nice things about this, Chris, is that there's no cropping on the 4K video, which unfortunately with the recently announced 5D Mark IV, uh, that is a problem with the 4K mode on that mm-hmm. particular camera. So it's nice to see that on this particular one, you get the full frame. Because with the 5D, one of the great things about it was it's a full frame sensor, but then you're cropping it, so you sort of lose that. Now, this is a sensor that is smaller, but at least we're utilizing the entire size of the sensor. Absolutely. Um, we've got full-sized HDMI, which is really that's cool. That's a godsend. Yeah, because yeah. that little micro or mini HDMI, that thing's horrible.
1: Yeah, and with any of the DSLR cameras, you know, which which don't use a full-size HDMI, it's a complaint from users, please give us an HDMI. Because it will break. And full-size. HDMI is
0: bad enough as it is, let alone mini HDMI. USB-C, which is interesting to see, um, of course, we're starting to see it on the new MacBook Pro line and uh, various Windows laptops, but it's good to see that camera manufacturers are embracing that as well. Um, dual uhs two memory cards. So yeah, great. Excellent. Uh, noting the other day, Chris, that you can get a, a 128 uh, gigabyte SanDisk Ultra fast memory card for about 50 bucks US now. It's getting ridiculous. So. Wow. Uh, a couple of those to go in it. Waveform and vectorscope monitors. What do
1: they do, Chris? Well, uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> to, well, they in the digital realm, uh, next, other honest. than the, the analog realm, um, basically they give you a visual indication of where your exposure is. So yep. uh, you can, I mean, sometimes I, I was using them last week quite extensively. Sometimes when you're swapping locations, or especially somewhere where you're in a bright location, all of a sudden, and you're struggling to see your screen a bit, you can really see where your sky is sitting, and um, you can, you know, uh, with your vector scope, uh, that'll give you a bit of information about your color as well to tell you where your color is sitting. And you can sometimes sort of get a feel for where your, your shift is for your white balance if you, you sort of get used to looking at it as well. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's a really handy thing to have uh, mm. in an outdoor, even um, yeah, an indoor situation where you you know you you want to set an exposure and the lighting's changing and you want to check what's happening with auto. If you've got it sitting on auto iris, just to check it's containing it, it'll just sit and show you uh, a nice little preview in a technical. In Form. a technical
0: manner. It's, it's amazing with the waveform. Once you've looked at them long enough, you can actually see a picture in the waveform. Mm. And Vectorscope's also really good for getting skin tones as well if you know where to look. They have also announced an add-on for XLR mics, so that'll give you dual XLR inputs. It's powered by the hot shoe on the top of the camera, and that'll give you 96 kilohertz at 24-bit there we go yeah, awesome. <laughs> i mean is it good
1: quality is it low uh, noise we, we floor don't know. we don't really know but one thing that was very interesting as well is they've redesigned the internal mic on the camera and this is something i find quite interesting because it's it is very much targeted at doco users and people who are sort of want to run and and get a story on the fly and sometimes you don't have the time to sit and mount, you know, your, your Rode Video Pro or whatever thing on the top. Mm. So this means that you've got decent audio out of the box, um, built into the camera. Apparently they've done a lot to reduce shake noise and rumble noise and to get a, a lot cleaner audio out of that built-in mic. Cause it's amazing the amount of times where you do end up using uh, a bit of B-roll audio that you didn't actually think you were going to yeah. use. So yeah,
0: exactly. 6K anamorphic shooting. Interesting. Don't know how often we'd use that, Chris, but I'm sure other people out there would. Um, it does have some advanced V-log modes, but we're paying a bit more for that one. It's not that expensive. I think it's about 100 $150 US, but you do pay a little bit extra. So that's
1: an unlock code that you have yeah, to buy.
0: Similar to what Sony does with a lot of their cameras these days. And uh, 4K, 4-3 anamorphic, Chris, you've put a point about yeah, that Yeah, well,
1: that's the, I I guess, other thing. I don't know how it's capturing that, whether it's capturing the full sensor and then squishing it down or, um, mm-hmm. but but that basically allows you to capture I believe it is. the full 4-3 image of the sensor and actually resize that into something that's a, a 4K 16-9 or it might even be a two to one or something like that image. Hmm. I'm not entirely sure what it's going to crush it into, but it is good because potentially if you want to capture the top and bottom of your frame, um, you know, and, and have that so that you've got more, uh, captured in your frame on a, on a, on a lens, that's one thing that it could be useful for. The other thing is just, if you do have an anamorphic adapter and you want to shoot, uh, anamorphic content, it lets you do that, which of course gets more light in the camera and Apart mm-hmm. from that, just makes your look really weird. But <laughs> Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know. All right, Chris, moving on to
0: some other Panasonic releases at CES. They've uh, brought out a couple of other cameras. Uh, firstly, the Lumix DC GX850, which is a little baby micro four-thirds compact body camera. So it's kind of a little bit like what we've just talked about in the GH5. It's an interchangeable lens camera, but it's designed to be nice and neat and small. Um, they've also released a uh, DC FZ80, which is a bridge camera. Uh, for those unfamiliar with the term bridge camera, they're normally uh, super zoom style cameras, bigger body point and shoot cameras. So this has got a 60 times zoom on it, which is pretty impressive to uh, compete with the likes of Nikon there. And they've also uh, announced a couple of different lenses. So the Lumix GX Vario 12 to 35 2.8, which is a, a power. Um, optical image stabilized lens, which I'm quite interested in, and also the uh, 12 to 60, 2.8 to f/4, which I'm also very interested in. Um, that sounds like a pretty good walkabout length uh, focal length, Chris.
1: It does, and that's also got the uh, Leica engineering in it, so that's sort of a bit of a step up as far as their um, their quality. Both of them are stabilized as well. Uh, so with the in-body stabilization and the the lens stabilization, you're getting like a, a nice. Uh, extra few layers of um, of image shake there, mm. uh, but you know twelve might sound twelve mil might sound like it's a very a wide. wide lens, but we we've got to remember this is micro four thirds, yep. so MFT does crop the image quite considerably. So that would be the equivalent to what about a, a twenty to one hundred ish
0: The exact math eludes me, but that would be a good walk around lens, and it's reasonably fast at the wide and fast enough at the long for for most scenarios.
1: Mm. So, but it's interesting that the twelve to thirty five is fixed to eight. Yeah, um, look, that,
0: I'm interested to see if, how these would work with uh, our uh, Blackmagic studio cameras because currently the the lenses we're using are a little bit slow. They're 5.6 generally, I think, even down to 6.3. So something like this might be a nice uh, solution.
1: Hmm. And of course, uh, if you ever want to get up and run around with it, not yeah. that you're ever going to do that with a studio Blackmagic no, camera, but... because <laughs> uh, you would be tethered because they can't record. Um, <laughs> just for fun, just for the yeah. challenge of it. Yep.
0: All right, Chris, moving on to HDMI two point one.
1: Yeah. What the hell is this about? Well, it's a new HDMI standard. Same. That sounds cable. exciting, Chris. Oh, <laughs> Tell yeah. me more. It's well, it's the same cable. This is the interesting thing about HDMI. it's had lots of revisions. Um, but it's it remained the same cable the whole time. Um, arguably, <clears throat> it's 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 the same looking cable, same connector, the same connector. Let's because say
0: otherwise, Monster Cable would be very disappointed that they it's the same connector, yeah.
1: Well, and in I mean internally, I think they have changed the the way it twists and and um, certainly with longer cables, they've added uh, amplifiers and things like that in. But there's a whole load of new standards with HDMI 2.1, and uh, the list is pretty enormous. It covers everything from higher resolutions to Uh, higher bit depths to HDR to all sorts of things. Let's have a chat about them. What have you got on your list there?
0: So let's start with 8K at 60 frames per second, which, um, you know, this could be a bit of a Bill Gates 640K ought to be enough for everyone quote, but I think that's getting up there. Maybe the frame rate could be higher, but 8K I think is going to be the point where we are pretty much done in terms of resolution for the moment. We can start looking at other technologies then.
1: Um, and there's also the frame rate. If you want to go the other way, which is it'll go up to 120. 144, Actually, oh really? Okay. Uh, which is a sort of a, a more professional format uh, mm-hmm. at four K. But it'll also yep. do your yeah, one twenty at four K, which is of course the new headsets uh, mm-hmm. for virtual reality want to push the limits higher. So for VR, this could be um, you know this is this is the cable we want to be using for getting that. Super sharp VR experience. It's a lightning quick frame rate.
0: Well, also for sports, I reckon that would be amazing. 120 frames at 4K would be fantastic for the Olympics or football or whatever it may be. Mm. 48 gigabits of bandwidth, just a tech spec there. BT 2020 color, Chris, what's that about? My favorite thing. Well, that's
1: an HDR standard for color. Mm -hmm. So that gives us uh, sort of extra brightness that expands right the way out. And it uh, gives us color, a higher range of color as well. So you can really push your colors into those sort of uh, deep blues and, you know, bright shimmering reds.
0: So that's above the DCP-3 spec. We're going another level and seeing this is some more color again.
1: Actually very impressive, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that in order to master for that, um, it's a case of if people are going to enjoy watching it. I mean, a lot of albums in the, you know, 70s, you know, did the uh, really dynamic thing where they'd have like, soft passages and then really loud passages. And even now you can buy releases that have huge dynamic range, but if it gets broadcasted on radio or if it gets put out another a lot of them will crush the range of the audio so that it's it's much more crunched so the loud sound doesn't come and everybody just dives to the volume like it. So yeah, the, I'm the night
0: nice movie mode on your AV receiver.
1: That's it and it crunches down the audio and this we've got this whole thing called loudness war. So that's the audio side. Now I'm very curious to with the video side if this is going to be a thing as well. You know, people like to have their televisions on, you know, in the summer, sitting on their TV, and it's nice and bright, and they can see everything really clean. It goes to a night scene, and it suddenly goes really dark. Are we going to see the advent of Dynamics range compression, where it actually, you know, pushes it up in brightness? There's a mode you can turn on your TV, like keep it bright mode.
0: I think that mode is called buy an old TV.
1: Well... Hmm. <laughs> well, I don't know. You see, there's this this whole thing called a dynamic visual metadata channel, which is going to be running in the new HDMI standard as well. And I find that fascinating. What it actually is, is metadata about how bright and dark the actual average scene is going to be for the next bracketed bit of info like, you know, scene. And so with that, your television will actually understand You know where its range, dynamic range, is going to be for any given scene, and it might actually be able to clip out and readjust, readjust to actually, you know, compensate to make your image brighter, for instance, on a on a bright viewing condition, or if you're uh, watching it at night and you don't want it to suddenly be super bright and staring you in the eye, there might be a mode to dim it, but only for the bright areas. I think that this this dynamic high dynamic like dynamic range movement is going to give us some pretty interesting outcomes, to be honest.
0: Yeah, everyone who looks at a 4K TV in normal dynamic range and then looks at a HD TV in HDR, everyone says the HDR one looks better. Oh. So, oh, and
1: yeah. it looks amazing uh, if you're not looking at it for hours on end. Yeah. I sometimes find even like you know the dark scenes and things. I don't know if you find this on yours a little bit. Sometimes you just want to push it up a little bit in brightness.
0: No, I enjoy the dark scenes because they're, they're very dark on my TV. <laughs>
1: of course you do. Um, but yeah, this is all built into the HDMI 2.1 standard. So they're obviously thinking very much about not only um, a sharper image, but also something that has a lot more depth to it as far as brightness and contrast is, mm. is concerned. And as far as how we'll capture that, uh, most of our cameras already have modes that will allow us to capture in 10-bit or, um, you know, in, in HDR, semi sort of HDR modes anyway, so flat mm-hmm. profiles and things. It's how we actually process and master it within yeah, something like DaVinci and then how we export it out is depending on, you know, what it's going to look like on the other side.
0: Yeah, and look, more and more software starting to support it. The, the recent release of Final Cut uh, 10.3 has native support for HDR and Rec 2020, so it's something that we're going to be dealing with, um, if not now, in the, in the very near future.
1: Exciting. Fujifilm Chris. Whoa, changing the story totally. Mm. Let's talk about resolution. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or or big big pixels in this particular instance with a medium format camera, which we've talked about a little bit on this show, Chris, with other manufacturers, but Fuji's throwing their hat into the ring. What have yeah. they got for us, Chris?
1: Fujifilm have their GFX 50 S mirrorless camera or 50S mirrorless, which is basically a medium format. Camera with a giant sensor—we're looking, you know, double the size of a of a 35mm sensor—and you know, with a bunch of lenses to match. This is a camera that can get you probably under ten grand into the market of shooting um, uh, medium format, format, which for portraits, half grand for bodies. Yeah. Oh. So look, it's an interesting sensor.
0: It's forty three point eight by three point two nine millimeters, which is one point seven times a standard thirty five mil. So nearly two times, as Chris said, it's fifty one point four megapixels. So we're getting up into the range of some of the the Canon five D um, R's or whatever they were called, the ones where they had the higher megapixel sensor. And obviously, you're going to get better pixels with this larger sensor. It's interesting, Chris. The uh, auto focus is contrast detect 117 mm. point uh contrast detection no mention of phase detection well it's mirrorless is, so it's mirrorless so that makes a lot of sense <laughs> thank you chris i didn't think about that um whether that works well or not will be interesting you're dealing with um sony you have about 4 million uh points on their autofocus systems but uh fujis have been pretty good in the past two sd card slots all these are pretty compact bodies so they don't have room for cfast or um or compact flash uh, it looks to be touchscreen driven for the most part, although it does have some physical hardware on the top in terms of dials to control things manually. But it does appear to be touchscreen driven. Uh, Chris, one nice thing that you'd like is it will record video for thirty minutes.
1: Yeah, it's not bad. But honestly, I don't know why I'd be recording video on a medium format camera. I mean, it can look sexy. It would probably look pretty sexy. It depends how the sensor's actually reading it out. If it's yeah. doing proper like if it's got a really powerful processor and it's actually doing a proper down sample from oh, 50 that 15 megapixels per second in yeah. real time to an HD signal and putting that down as nice. a MV as well, whatever format. It would look hot, but I'm guessing there would be line skipping. And I don't know if they are. If mm. they're not, oh. That would look good. No 4K, <laughs> cost, interestingly enough. So no. maybe
0: they are, because maybe they can work out to do a, a 1080 but not a 4K image. Six and a half US without lenses or memory cards or...
1: Yeah. Everything so else. I mean it is a relatively good price for a medium format digital camera. The thing is for me, I mean I started out doing um film processing with medium format uh when my my housemates were at, at, for studying photography at university and we had two medium format cameras kicking around and lenses and that was affordable as a student. Uh you know, it wasn't cheap. It was like I think it was about $1400 with a lens for a camera. Um and we were shooting onto the film, not onto digital but Medium format was a format as far as you're talking about, like the the uh, the lenses and and uh, and a size image size that you would expose. It was a format that was affordable as a art student and as somebody on the lower end. And the the beauty that you can get out of a medium format camera, especially for portrait, just because of the way it wraps the image, it's because the the you know the, the exposed plate that you're actually or the sensor you're onto is actually much bigger. It's a shame that it's not cheaper. I mean, if and I know we're dreaming here, but if it was. or $2,500 for an entry-level medium format camera that students could afford and and art students. Oh, wouldn't it be bliss to be able to have that for the next generation? Because I feel very lucky our generation had that. but Mm.
0: Well, look, maybe it will be. These mirrorless cameras are, are coming out pretty quickly now, it seems, so maybe there'll be another generation where they're down to, you know, four grand US, and we'll see how they go.
1: Fingers crossed because it is a beautiful format to work with. There's no data and I think the fact that they've they've brought in a a bunch of lenses as well really shows that uh, Fujifilm are pretty serious about following the uh, the medium format journey. Mm. Yeah, exactly. so looking forward to seeing some uh, some images from that Roadshow 2017. Chris, fantastic pun there. Yep. So the Rode show, of course, Rode being R-O-D-E, the company that make microphones like the ones we're speaking to right now, except well, you you're are. speaking to a Sennheiser. Yeah. Um, so they have uh, a whole bunch of products that have just come out. Um yeah, and John, uh, what's the first thing on the road list? Just a, a bit of a
0: minimal update, I suppose, as, as far as things go. The Rode NT5 matched pair mics. Um, they've now got some black ceramic uh, coatings, which look really cool, apart from anything else. Uh, new manufacturing processes, uh, uh, Australian made, of course, and the Rode are really proud of that fact. So there's a pretty cool video you can check out on their website showing how these things come together. Um, So this ships in a match pair and also includes a new accessory, the SB20 soundbar. So you can set them up in various stereo configurations. Uh, Next up on the list, um, just a little thing. They've started to replace some of their mounts. So uh, most notably, and I call it most notably because I tried to buy one and was told that they didn't have them anymore. The SM4, which is a, well, Chris, you're using one right now. What is it?
1: It's a shock mount. So with the shock mount. Without the shock mount, basically allows you to put a microphone in. A <laughs> it microphone. holds it in with rubber bands in the air. Yeah. It's just a shock mount. God.
0: Yeah. Not that exciting, but uh, Roycoat, we're not quite sure how the best pronunciation is, but they're a big name in, in shock mounts. Um, Rhodes tapped into those guys, and they're actually... Rebranding some of their accessories like the SM4, it's now the SM4R, with Roycoat suspension mounts. Um, but it's made in house by road. So anything you see with a dash R on the end of a road product now will include Roycoat.
1: Yep. And that just gives it slightly uh, more resilience against, I guess, bounce and shock and things like that yeah. if you've. Uh Got it on a pole or a, um, you know, a, a stand where people are knocking it with their feet like I'm doing right now, which mm. would be unlistenable to if it didn't have the shock mount. <laughs>
0: yep. Uh, what's next, Chris?
1: Oh, the video mic Pro. Um, this is the Pro Plus, yep. which is a new uh, update to their video mic, a very popular uh, microphone that sits on top of cameras.
0: Yep, so Um, this is often a a DSLR shooter's mic, very popular with them, which it was last updated in uh, 2015, so not that long ago, but they have changed a few things, Chris.
1: They've significantly changed a few things. One of them is it runs off AA batteries now, which I personally um, welcome. It also has a new microfiber windshield, uh, which is uh, a little bit like having a big fluffy Uh, But instead of having big Mr. Fluffy, where you can have bits that fly around in your shot, Uh, (laughs) there's always a bit of fluff hanging in your shot with a big fluffy. They've they've actually managed to engineer a new bit of foam that's well microfiber foam, so it's got a almost felty sort of feel to it when you hold it. Uh, And that works apparently incredibly well. Yeah. So
0: apparently this is positioned to be somewhere between your standard windshield and a fluffy. So it's not quite as good as a a big fluffy dead koala or dead wombat or or dead cat, depending on where you are. Or Or dead kitten if it's smaller. Dead kitten and a little one, Lovely,
1: politically correct sound (laughs) names.
0: Yeah. But uh, look, this fits somewhere in the middle. So if you're indoors, fantastic. And if you're outdoors, as long as it's not too windy, this should be the, uh, the windshield for you. They've also got, Chris, a new battery. You mentioned AA's before. They've got this LB1, which they're calling a high-capacity battery. It looks basically like uh, two AA's fused together, and you can charge it within the mic itself via um, USB. Um, The cool thing about this, Chris, is it gives you 100 hours of use.
1: From a charge time of two hours. That's
0: pretty impressive. And I trust them because I've uh, used some of their newer shotgun mics with the built-in rechargeable batteries, And you just don't really charge them, which is sometimes bad because eventually it's going to bite me in the ass, I'm sure. But you just leave them in the bag and you don't worry about it because they last so bloody long.
1: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And um, one thing they've got as well is a a USB power input just as a micro USB. Hmm. So if you did run out of power, you can just plug straight in.
0: Now, based on my experiences with Rode and USB power, it introduces issues. So I wonder if it will have issues.
1: You mean the noise? Yeah, the constant... But I would also question that—that's to do with your power supply as well.
0: Yes, but that being said, I, I have tried many, many, many power supplies to try and isolate the problem, and some are better than others, but all have some noise. The only time I've found where you don't get noise is if you plug it into a, a battery. So yep. one of those power USB packs to batteries, of course, because there's mode. no
1: switch mode at that exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah, but um, you know, it's great to see that uh, the road are continuing to upgrade their their mics. They haven't just found something and sat on it. Uh, and kept it the same. But these changes are not superficial either. They're all really good, high-quality changes to a product that is actually, in my opinion, fairly low down on their – um, their list of products. Like it's not a hugely expensive product. No. Yet they've really gone to town on trying There's to get it. There's a engineer. few
0: variations of it though. So they've got some cheaper yes. ones at about the hundred dollar mark and going up to about the three hundred dollar mark. I think it's like uh, five different it's versions about, of it.
1: Oh if you go to the um the XY mics, the more expensive ones, you're looking at uh, 800 eight hundred. Oh I'm
0: talking about sorry, their on-camera mics in this instance. Well
1: this is an on-camera mic. The yep. video the stereo pro one as yep. well is quite expensive. But they've they've taken it seems a lot of engineering from um uh, you know, their other product lines and put them into their uh, their, their entry-level video mics. So good on mm-hmm. them for doing that because it means that you're able to buy a product that's really high quality for a pretty cheap price, which is, is great.
0: Now, the other major announcement, Chris, is the purchase of Soundfield. Oof. Now, this is interesting to people, especially people doing uh, VR stuff. Um, or 360 video, 360 video capture. 360 video capture. Um, do you know much about Soundfield, Chris?
1: Uh, yes, I've used a Soundfield mic before. Um, mm-hmm. The one I used was uh, a condenser one, actually, that had multiple condensers on it. It was fascinating, like a sort of tetrahedron condenser. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we ran that into uh, – well, I've got the Sony recorder in my room still. It was a, yeah. a PCM four-channel recorder that actually records four separate channels of audio, and then from there you can put it through this big, expensive box that mm. extrapolates the audio into um, something that can go between left and right, uh, can do uh, up and down. It basically captures yep. a sphere of sound. You can
0: do Dolby Atmos, yep, height channels.
1: But, so it's always it's been around since the um, the eighties, as far as I know, and it captures a sphere of sound that can be rotated the sphere around in any way you want, and you can capture. But then from there, you can do uh, mathematical operations that say, okay, I want you to take away like the opposite of the signal from everything that's behind, from bits in front, and you can pick out a and shape the audio. So this um, is
0: the the A format. What they call the A format and the B format. So the A format's the acquisition of this, and the this B format sound. is
1: recording into the four audio channels, or Which you can then manipulate you can process. And post. But what they've done, and this is genius, is they've put a processor in the actual microphone itself.
0: So let's so back up a little bit. They've announced, not shipped, but announced uh, the Rode VideoMic SoundField.
1: Exactly. And so. it is a it is a b audio uh, uh, mic that will capture a sphere of sound, much mm. like a sound field microphone does. But this also gives you the option to uh, shape the sound and pick uh, effectively what is a, um, a shotgun mic, if you like, by mm. doing uh, mathematics of subtraction like stuff the from catioid. the other. Yep. Or you can choose a you know a standard stereo or a super wide stereo as well, using just the left and right with the front and behind sort of subtracted from it to give you a really super wide sound sort of uh, stereo stage, and this yeah. is all out of a stereo output so not only can you use it as a four channel uh, you know super uh, B audio mic but you can also use it as a as a super wide stereo as a uh, near field stereo mic and as a semi I suppose shotgun style mic as well or as you say cardioid super cardioid, cardioid, cardioid. Yeah. be more cardioid because it'd be more just pick up from in front hmm. But, I mean, that is amazing that they've put the processor inside the uh, mic, along with pass filtering and all sorts of other things. So this is a really flexible, powerful mic. Now, think about it. If you're running around and you're doing, you know, uh, B-roll for a a documentary and you want to get something where you're in a crowd and you want to get everything around you, and then somebody, let's say in a protest, let's just be topical, and you want to get the big, like, sounds from, you know, that massive soundscape, you can do that in stereo mode. Uh, super wide stereo mode and then you've got someone in front of you who's yelling something you can double tap on the back get it into being a more directional mic and then pick that up as a shot as well mm. as uh, with the with the audio at, you know pointing you know, more shape towards them. that is great to think that you've got a mic that allows you to have that flexibility on the fly you've just obviously got to be wearing headphones and monitoring it yeah. but uh, that's a very clever use of the Soundfield mic and that's not even taking into account it's a Soundfield mic as well yeah. uh, the only problem is recording it you do need four channels of input. So you're not going to record it on a Zoom H4n or something like that. You need a camera that has four inputs into it or a a field recorder recorder that has four inputs. Now, if you're running with something like Sony, you've got the little adapters that clip on the top of the camera that give you the two additional inputs. Um, So you can actually do that with uh, an A7S or or even uh, an FS5 or an FS7 or something like that if you wanted to have the mic on the camera and actually capturing sound field on board the, the camera which is what this is designed for that's mm. the difference the other sound field mics are more about being a dedicated you know um, 360 audio capture for sound engineers mm. whether this is really focused for on camera use
0: yeah look I'll be interested to see what the price of this is we haven't seen any pricing from Rode yet but uh, speaking of those sort of mics Chris I've been very quickly working with the, the Sennheiser one which has the the similar sort of layout in terms of uh, the capsules within the microphone itself. And that does have uh, a breakout into four XLRs, which, thing, as you say, go into a, a sound interface and you capture all that and do all your, your processing. But this is a very compact device, obviously. if It's going to be an on-camera microphone. The origins of sound field technology, higher-end stuff. So if you wanted... To get surround sound at the soccer, that was sound field stuff. So they're giving you the crowd sounds are all around you, and that's a really cool effect. And now you can get that in what is a pretty small, well, from the videos at least, microphone that's going to sit on top of your camera. So look, this could be expensive. We've seen other mics like the Sennheiser for you know two, two and a half grand Australian. If this can come in at under thousand dollars Australian, that would be really cool. And if it come in at more like five hundred, that would be amazing. So I don't think it'll interested. come for
1: five hundred. I reckon it'll come in at about probably eight hundred US, nine hundred US. which Yeah, that'll be interesting in for Rode because yeah.
0: they don't really com- like they have a few mics that compete in that region. But Road have normally competed in the let's say two hundred to seven hundred. Region for most oh, for, of their products for, for, for their video related products, yeah, yeah.
1: Obviously, their studio related products, they you know, they have stuff that goes right up, yeah, which is their other announcements. But, um, that's I'm going to keep that to yeah. myself, yeah. <laughs> I'm very
0: excited. So, look, no release dates yet. But if you want to check it all out, they do have the, the road show video up on their website, and it's worth a watch. It goes for about half an hour, goes into a lot of detail about their new products, and also how the products are actually made, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty amazing factory. They've got a lot of automated robots that do custom. It's effectively custom designed per mic um, in the fact that, you know, there's you've got one machine that's doing, you know, 10 different models of microphone and, and mm. cleverly, you know, robotically putting it all together in this very clever way. So it's, yeah, good on the, uh, the company road for doing that. <laughs> Very topical for Aussie Australia fried Day. After Australia Day, yeah, that's yeah. right. I rode. I actually had a Road t shirt on yesterday. No, very, nice. <laughs> so it was very my, nice. Yeah, we're not sponsored by Road, but we might as well be. Well, based on the
0: amount of the well, there's
1: stuff a lot of places. stuff they release. I <laughs> yeah. mean, give me another microphone company that's releasing, you know, a Soundfield mic with options to flip between, you know, super wide stereo and directional mode as an onboard mic as a yeah, <laughs> as a secondary cool. feature that runs on batteries. Yeah, that's probably going to be cheap with a windjammer sitting on it. Yeah. and a tripod mount. No one else is doing it. So yeah,
0: it's Very nice. Yeah. Um, moving on, Chris. Uh, Loop Deck, photo editing console for Lightroom. So this is something a little bit different that I threw in there. Um, now, if you are a colorist, you're familiar with these dedicated uh, control surfaces. If you're a musician, you're familiar with these dedicated control surfaces. Um, the great thing about a dedicated control surface is not moving the mouse around and clicking on things. You've got tactile hardware feedback at your fingertips and can continue to look at the screen and adjust things. It's kind of like touch typing, but for uh, creative endeavors. So look, there's this company who started off as an Indiegogo project that wanted to produce uh, a similar thing to what you might have for a DaVinci Resolve for Lightroom. Now, Lightroom's not anywhere near as high-end as Resolve, but a lot of photographers, including myself, like to use it. And this looks pretty cool. So it's it's um, like a stripped-down, wild tangent device, if you're familiar with those products. You've got controls for your exposure, your white balance, your tinting, your, your contrast and all that sort of thing. And it's essentially a modified MIDI device. So this is 300 bucks US, um, shipping in the not-too-distant future. It looks pretty cool. Uh, I checked this out, and then I got sidetracked, as I tend to do, Chris, and started looking at other MIDI controllers. And... There are a lot of people out there who have also done this and have developed um, ways for MIDI interfaces to interface with Lightroom. So plugins, hacks, whatever you want to call it, to work with Lightroom. So I'm going to look at the Behringer X-Touch Mini. I'm going to buy one of those tomorrow because it's uh, about a third, if not a quarter of the price of this. And from what I can see, we'll do similar things. And I can also hopefully use it in the future for controlling applications like Vmix for video switching. Mm. And it's nice and small and runs on USB and all that sort of thing. So, look, this is a cool product, and I'm sure it's probably better than what I'm going to get, but uh, it's a little bit more pricey. But then again,
1: it is uh, customized for the, yeah, the, it is. the task, and it's only $300. And when you consider yeah. the DaVinci is
0: $35,000, so you, you know,
1: <laughs> and it takes the strain of a mouse off your hand, which is yeah. the biggest thing. Um, you know, especially when you're there, just tweaking little things back and forth. That's where you get your RSI. Yeah. So that's really what it it is. Good I'm for. I'm more for speed because
0: this thing you'll be able to do two things oh. at once because you've got two hands. So I'll be able to go a lot faster. Which
1: yeah, you'd sort um, of think, but oh, I don't know. I've had control surfaces for a long time, and I find I still revert to a mouse for a lot of stuff.
0: Okay. Well, look, I'll 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 check in. Maybe just <laughs> episode all the episode after Chris, and we'll see. i would be how curious to see
1: where you're at with it. Yeah. Yeah. But,
0: all right. Yeah. Zero tech. Shit name for a company,
1: Chris. <laughs> what a shit name! Zero tech.
0: We have no tech here.
1: Oh, nothing at all. But they've got a 4K action camera, apparently. Apart from, yeah, apart from that. <laughs> now, is it super sharp? And is it super, you know, resolved as a 4K image? We We're don't sure. know. But it has a built-in gimbal, and this isn't like you know some half-assed like little slide-y, um bit of uh, you know uh, counteracting sensor in a in a little assembly like a um, a point-and-shoot. Yeah. Uh, iPhone, this is actually a, a real proper gimbal, gimbal mm. in a in a tube. Tube.
0: It looks like something out of two thousand one a space odyssey It does. It mm. also
1: looks like something you may find in a bedroom. Mm. Now, um I don't know. <laughs> Get hundred and ten minutes of four K video of that recording, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. That's a lot of minutes. Yep. Uh it but it'll look- cost you a little bit. <laughs> Well, yeah, like five hundred, six hundred dollars. Yeah. Look, it's all right. I, I, I don't know without seeing images off this what it's going to be like to have something that is, you know, an action cam with a proper gimbal in it because you've got things like the um, the GoPro. Well, that doesn't have a gimbal in it.
0: Yeah, you can get the GoPro stick. The thing. oh that's yeah, yeah yeah the Osmo. Sorry. yeah.
1: Sorry, sorry. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. So, but or well, the Osmo, I was going to say. But, you know. but but both of those are a handheld. unit. this is what mm. I'm getting at. They're not a self-contained little block that yeah, just and connects if you drop to something.
0: Them, you'd worry that you'd break them.
1: Yeah, and and to have the batteries and everything combined into the unit, it's it's effectively it looks like a a small DJI um, Osmo Osmo, but flattened down uh, as a tube configuration that you have to somehow stick on your hat. Now it doesn't. I'm not a big fan of the tube configuration. Like
0: mm. it does have a, a tripod thread on the bottom of it. But, yeah. Um, so
1: mm. that's what you'd want to use it for. Now use case, John.
0: Uh, one of the promo shots was in a very attractive young model with it strapped to her hip, which was interesting. So she was running around. So I was uh, shooting from the hip, literally. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you could do that. Mountain biking? Mountain biking, yeah. Mountain biking. Uh, skiing? Uh, jet skis, uh, water skis, skiing, snow skiing, yeah. Uh, I don't know, Chris, because I don't have the lifestyle of a uh, an action camera uh, promo person, which appears to be jumping out of planes and doing all kinds of fun things. Um, but hey, basically, if GoPro shipped this for 500 bucks, you go, oh, yeah, fair enough. But since it's kind of a no name country. Uh, since company, it's zero tech. Zero tech, you wonder about their technical
1: abilities. Yeah. And look, the gimbal, one of the reasons it's behind, well, one of the things I should say that really uh, sets it apart is the fact it is enclosed behind glass. So. Uh, if you were doing skydiving, for instance, with an Osmo, you'd probably find that the gimbal would just blow in the wind and it would just like point to the sky and that would be the end of it. So, it's kind of
0: like the um, built-in cameras on the new DJI Mavic. Yeah. They're sort of behind – it's removable, but behind plastic, behind glass,
1: whatever yes, you want to Yes, exactly, say. Yeah. so that uh, the wind doesn't blow it around. and it yeah. can Because they do want to be quite nimble and they do want to be quite sensitive <clears throat> devices, so <clears throat> you've got to give them the, uh, the ability to be able to, to move quick. YouTube Chris, YouTube is adding
0: HDR support and also asking me if I want to subscribe to YouTube Red every time I watch a fucking video lately. But uh, anyway, the the news story here is HDR support with uh, some of their new videos. They have a a bit of a playlist up there, which demonstrates some of the new red helium sensor footage, which, damn, that looks good. But um, I can't watch this, Chris, because I don't have an HDR device that supports the 8K video that's pumping out.
1: But you do have an LG OLED screen that supports HDR,
0: but, but not 8K.
1: Yeah, but downscale it. Downscale it. Downscale it.
0: Yeah, it still look good. But it, anyway, have you
1: have you managed to watch some downscaled HDR not content? Because I was seeing you have a screen for it. Yeah, <laughs> so you're one of the only people I know yeah. who could actually watch this. Mm. And you still. Um, There's not many uh, videos
0: yet, but the ones that are out there are all nature documentaries, and nature documentaries all look really nice in high res and. Uh, Dynamic range, so I will maybe do that this weekend,
1: Chris. A weekend of watching nature docos is also, fantastic.
0: I still can't play back 8K, um, so hopefully computers can do that sometime soon.
1: <laughs> is is it the computer limitation or is it the uh, yes it's streaming computer. limitation? No, it's com-
0: I was watching it on a, a connection that has uh, 400 megabytes down, and uh, that was fine. It was just the computer. This was a not the most recent iMac. It, I. We'll try it on the most recent IMAC next week, but it was a, a four gigahertz IMAC, so it's not like a, a right. slow IMAC. Um there are more powerful computers out there, but um this was this was stuttering. This
1: was struggling. Yeah. Really struggling. I mean eight K I'd argue. I'd argue downsampled four K is just gonna yeah. be very comparable. Yeah. So one final thing to talk about today is the Lily drone. And this is a bit of a closer. In a way, it's a bit of a downer to end the show on, but uh before the beer. Before the beer, yes, exactly. The dream of a camera that you could throw into the air in front of you and it would just sit and hover there and take a perfect video of you standing and then follow you around uh, and swing around you and do orbits around you. That's the uh, dream, Chris. That was the dream and you just, just say where you want it to go, just on your phone, go there, go a bit wide, go here, and it would just jump to the position and, and <laughs> stay there and track you with a little wrist device that would um, to keep your every move. Mm, almost like
0: a DJI Mavic.
1: A little bit like a DJI Mavic. Well, it's kind of funny that this was announced uh, three years ago. Mm. And uh, Lily, after three years of um, of development and going pretty hard and doing a lot of updates and announcements and uh, and trying to convince everyone they had still got the product ready to deliver, turned around mm. and suddenly said that they were cancelling on uh, $34 million worth of investment.
0: So, look, this uh, is a bit of a sorry tale about the drone industry and uh, technology upstarts in general, I suppose, trying to bat above their their average, I suppose. Boxing well, trying above to their get weight. a piece
1: of technology that is, you know, pr- only a few years ago was military grade stuff. Yeah. Uh, and trying to release that in a mainstream, consumer orientated, cheap price format. Yeah, I mean, it's there's, hard. There's reasons why the big players aren't doing it. <laughs> yeah, yep. it's usually because it's too ambitious. And mm. look, you know, sometimes companies can do it. Mm. And sometimes they can
0: fake their videos.
1: Ah, uh, so Lily, where did they go wrong, John, when they fake their videos? <laughs> well, the thing was, it was a dream, and they showed a very good dream, uh, a very uh, believable situation. Um, mm-hmm. In the fact that they already had some prototypes kicking around that weren't actually working; they were just they would fly. So they had these little flying drones, mm-hmm. but of course, all the footage they were showing and demonstrating with was just conceptual. It was just this is what it should be able to do, yep. which was sitting off gimbal-based professional drones capturing footage mm. on the front that we should be able to build this. Yeah, it looked really cool at the time because no other drones could do it. Yes. And now they can. And the problem is, in the meantime, uh, people were waiting, you know, a year and a half and then, you know, another year and asking for refunds and getting upset. And Yeah, look, I even had a colleague who said, oh, don't worry about that TGI stuff.
0: You should check out this Lily product. This looks really cool. But that was two years ago now and nothing
1: shipped. Yep. And uh, so yeah, finally they've uh, they've given up shop, uh, announced that uh, even though it was ready to build, well according to them it was ready to build uh, they couldn't get the uh, final funding to be able to get the the manufacturing happening. but I would question if that they, sounds like an excuse because so. they already had everybody's money supposedly in cold like uh, fr- like you know uh, funds that they, yeah. uh, had ready to go. So I would have thought they would have just put that on and and made it. But I think in all honesty, what happened is they ended up with a 1080p camera. um, And a drone that probably didn't perform as well as they'd hoped and they needed a way out. Yep. And um, look, they probably could have maybe shipped their units, but they would have had nothing afterwards and they would have lost the money. And I would imagine this product would have cost a fair bit of money to uh, actually produce. And I think that's what a lot of the companies are finding. I mean, GoPro, John. Falling out of the sky, yeah, and they're
0: people who you—they know what they're doing with action cameras for the most part, but uh, drones are a whole other thing. So, look, it's difficult technology, and uh, even the big companies like Sony and Panasonic of the world are staying a fair way away from it. So, that probably tells you something, Chris.
1: Yeah, I think the other the other reason that uh, the drone market, especially that uh, entry level, low end of high end, um. L- Placement of the product is just too hard to deal with from a legal point of view. Like, you know, especially with, now. Yeah, you I mean, you think about uh, people's respect for the government isn't all that high at the moment in rules and regulation. Especially now, <laughs> especially the kids, as they just don't give a shit, um, and they will just take a drone and just, you know, even they know they're not allowed to put it on the internet, but you know, for their own viewing and fun, they'll just fire it up as high as it can go. It's the first thing they do with it, hmm. you know, or within a week of having it and getting a bit bored with it. And the thing is, these are being touted as rich kids' toys, so. Yeah, You know, where does it sit as a functional camera device is, I guess, the question I want to pose.
0: Yeah, look, I, th- I think, Chris, that um, the high end of low end is a difficult market for for many things, not just drones, but perhaps especially drones, because the high end of low end, what is that, $1,000 to $2,000 for a drone, I would suggest? Um, it's sort of at that price point where you don't find that much, except maybe, you know, older DJI Phantoms, perhaps, of the previous gen model. And some, you know, Chinese companies that you've you've never heard of, and they might have good products, but you don't have the warranty support and the the spare parts and the the infrastructure that you get with the
1: DJI of the If world. you want to use it professionally, yeah, yeah. So. And I think more and more we're gonna be we're gonna see some uh, incidents. I I would suggest this will be the year where we see drones, yeah, <laughs> uh, like uh, the big drone accident of two thousand and seven. Like you know, where a drone will fly, yeah. multiple drones will fly into like a Cafe or hit something or be President on a freeway, Trump. or yeah, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't uh, mind that. Um, yeah, I could imagine somebody programming an autonomous drone to just buzz him, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a very interesting time for the, that drone market, especially from a camera point of view. Yeah. Uh, the Australian laws certainly here are, are, are quite I
0: think strict. Wow, they're very clearly defined, which is are, good, which but is they good. also
1: say if you're using it for commercial use, you've yeah. got to have. A license, and they are very clear, clear cut about what the license is now, which is yeah. good. Well, license
0: at a certain point, you can actually get away without a license at the at the lower end, at the sub two kilogram. If market. it's a
1: sub two kilogram, yeah, yeah but you still which can't. These new ones are. Like at a certain are. level, right? Yeah. Oh, so the so the trick is going to be to get those uh, three or four thousand dollar models. Get the lightweight ones. <laughs> get them lighter, but still a high quality product. Yeah, um, but still, I just don't think the engineering holds up. For a product uh, that's that's being sold under fifteen hundred dollars, mm-hmm. I think that's the And threshold. look, there's a certain point where physics get in the way, and the the weight and
0: size of the product um, means that it, it just can't handle wind gusts. Battery life limitation as
1: well. Mm. Um, you know, you
0: although look, as I said to you earlier, Chris, a colleague of mine has his DJI Mavic, and he's been using it for the last uh, one month, and he's been very happy with it. And uh, battery life is pretty good, and hasn't crashed into anything yet. So, how much
1: is a Mavic worth?
0: Uh, kitted out in what he got, which is the full kit with a backpack and everything. Uh, Twenty-one, US, Australia, Australian. Okay, Australian. that's not bad. So,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're we get getting there. The They're getting there. Yeah, They're getting maybe
0: there. without all the all the bells and whistles.
1: So, so yeah. what's well, going to be? An interesting year, I reckon. This year we'll we'll see some very fascinating developments on that front and gimbal cameras as well. Yeah. The miniaturisation of gimbal cameras has begun, mm-hmm. and that and with we'll the continue. drones and with the. Uh, New sensors from Sony that are rumored to be coming out, two thousand seventeen. Hope for one from Canon too. Yeah, well, I don't know. There we go. They're know. supposedly working on stuff. Well, hopefully, there'll be a new a new six D at least. They've got a still got their R and D lab, so fingers crossed they're doing something. They isn't? should because we don't <laughs> we
0: don't want Sony to be the only company making sensors. Yeah. Yes. Okay. There are the other you know no name companies out there, but it's good to have Canon and Sony fighting it out. I think. I hope that continues.
1: Indeed. Talking of uh, fighting it out, breweries, they like fighting it out with their beers for yep. beer space on the shelves. And we've got a fine contender today.
0: Now, we can cut here, Chris, if you don't want to do this. But uh, how about we do two beer reviews today? Let's do one that we've actually consumed. Okay. And uh, a first taste, if you will. It'll be kind of like a first look Okay. the uh, American wedding industry. Um, we've been drinking the, uh, the Pale Ale, um, the Parrot Dog from Dead Canary. Now, Chris, you said you not
1: that you weren't big on pale ales, but you preferred other styles of beer. What did you think of this one? It's not too bad. It's a bit fizzy, a bit sort of gassy again for me. Mm. Uh, not not too much, just a, just a tad. But I, I I found that it was a little bit fruity and kind of you know enjoyable. I'd, I'd drink a few of those on a on a fine afternoon. What yeah. did you think of it? I, I didn't think it was a mind blowing pale ale, but I thought it was I didn't quite think nice. it was mind blowing. But I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Um, yeah, look, uh, as you say, Chris. It's something you'd enjoy drinking on a on a nice summer afternoon, and if someone handed it to me, I would definitely not be knocking it back. In fact, if I'd be as bold to say as if I saw this on a store shelf, I, I might grab it. Excellent. It was it was a bit pricey. That's the only thing. I think it was twenty odd dollars for a four pack. Yeah. Uh, you can buy Mubru, which is an excellent drop of beer. For the same sort of price um, for the same sort of price. So look, it, it's up against some big hitters. If you if it was a six pack for the same price, I would maybe, be buying that as a standard. I I would buy injury. a Muba. is obviously a completely different beer style, but um, in terms of the quality of the beer, I think that's probably a, a little bit above this.
1: Mm. Anyway, Chris, moving on to the Cavalier. This is a particularly uh, right, tried this one yet. Special beer. This is the Irish spiced red IPA. Have a sniff yeah, of that. Yes.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, it's pretty intense. It's a uh, it's a six point one percent, and it's got and a it warm lot up of as well. So a lot of deep flavors in there. Mm. Now I like this. It's got um almost smoky kind of edge to it. And that spice, you can actually, you can definitely taste the spice kicking there. It says it's a limited release series, um, a collaborative effort, <clears throat> single batch beer handcrafted into the bottle for you. Oh, fair enough. Uh, each release in this series will be rarely repeated. So enjoy this beer because once it's gone, you'll probably never see it again. That doesn't really say much about what it is, but. No. I kind of like sounds that. Sounds like a typical craft beer. That does <laughs> exactly. We don't know what this beer is going to be like. So <laughs> threw some shit in the vat, and this is what we got. This is what we got. But yeah, I, for for a dark IPA, I reckon that sits quite nicely. It's sort of on the edge of being um, uh, not stouty, but you know, it, it has the undertones of a you know the the, the that sort of round bitter tongue of a stout.
0: I don't know, Chris. i I'm, mm, I'm not that big on this this reminds me of a Sony surround sound system. Oh, my God. How the fuck did you pull that as a... Because it's on the front of the mouth, but not the back. It's this sound system that... You turn it on in the store and you go, That sounds all right, but then you get it home and you crank it up to full bore and you can just sort of feel it struggling. It doesn't have the oomph, it doesn't have the, doesn't have the, the power behind it. There's something missing. It's it it looks good. Cones it the, sounded all right in the store, but it's just, it's just, just missing it. It doesn't have the power, it's not the V eight. You just you you don't have that confidence that there's something behind it. That's what I get from this beer, Chris. I quite like it. Chris looks really disappointed in my comments really, right now. I really really like this
1: beer. I think it's. I'm sorry, really... Chris. Uh, Chris was really pumped for this one. Well, you know, <laughs> I've just shot it down. I I'm went and, sorry. I, and I and I bought it, especially for the craft beer store, yeah. and I put it to one side, and I didn't drink it yesterday, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, John, will be good on this." Mm. Ah. I can
0: literally feel it stops right at the middle of the roof of my mouth. It's just not
1: going the full the full journey. Well. <laughs> There's so many <laughs> offensive comments I can put in there right now. I'm not going to refrain. <laughs> uh, um, I owe you a clamp. Enough. It's still in my house. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, look, the Calavera Arms um, Irish Spiced Red. I like it. I think it's a good drop. We'll have to beg to differ on this. Oh, does, to be honest, it does have
0: some porty um, notes to it. it. It definitely has some porty undertones.
1: And they the do a line. range of of beers which are low. Um, a low volume, and I, I actually think I had a few of their beers. I had three different types on the weekend, and I enjoyed all of them. Mm. Um, but especially in the midst of everything else, as I was drinking, this was probably three or four drinks in. Yep. I thoroughly enjoyed this <laughs> yesterday when I was drinking I the can other see bottle. That. Yeah. But you know, maybe on like it's still nice, but yeah, it's, oh, not, look, I don't it's not as good as it's I remember it being yesterday.
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> so. a it's a featherweight boxer. It's not the heavyweight boxer.
1: Mm. But still, if it's on special, might yeah, as well give get it a it. go, definitely. You would you'd buy a? Would you drink this over the pale ale? No, because uh, you I like, preferred the pale ale because you're more of a pale ale guy. I, I would am. probably drink this over the pale ale. Mm. So there's my mm. my ending thought.
0: So there's a complete contradiction in terms to end the show.
1: Yeah, um, good way this, to kick <laughs> off 2017, 17, which proves to be. So
0: far, an interesting year in many
1: respects. We have both. We will try do our best this year to keep the shows rolling in and keep chatting about uh, the tech that's coming up and out there. Uh, On personal (laughs) notes, uh, we're both going to be quite busy. I'm going to be building a new studio in two weeks' time, and um, Mm. it's it's more of an edit space than a studio. We're moving out of the. Sort of more studio environment into a. a so if the
0: sound not, quality degrades. Yeah, exceptions. it might just
1: be a little bit uh, of traffic noise and things. I've got to double glaze some windows and
0: mm.
1: yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's gone from this room where we have. Silence. Mind <laughs> you, there's a big uh, THX certification that comes with this building. So yeah. Yeah. Um, not that this room, not that a sound recording room's THX spec, but the, um, the theatre was. So. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the downside of progression where you lose your lease and they bulldoze your studio.
0: And turn it into apartments and sell them for lots of money even though they're shoeboxes.
1: Anyway, we're getting a bit political, Chris. (laughs) That's the story of edit suites around the world. So (laughs) Mm. from our little um, edit suite and studio to yours, we hope you've had a a good holiday break and we'll uh, bring you the Purple Fringe news. Check out the show notes
0: at uh, thepurplefringe.com. Follow us or tweet us at Show. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Purple Fringe, the high end of low end digital media production.
1: Yep, uh, of course, rode the microphone Mike Chris. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, you enjoy a good puns so much, it leaves you speechless,
1: Chris. Mm. Uh, Australia Day. I'm still recovering. <clears throat> <laughs>